0: Jesus gives instructions for the Holy Communion from Mark's Gospel. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives.
1: Just want to point out Shelley's beautiful flowers for Easter. Um, Beautifully done, Shelley. Thank you very much for, for doing that for us today. It's interesting that Easter is a traditional time for communion. In many places on Easter Day, the central act of worship on the actual day itself is Holy Communion um, because it combines a lot of the aspects of Holy Week that all go together. And I remember in in England, we used to do, uh, you'd have Communion on Monday, Thursday, which is when Holy Communion was instituted. You heard the story there. Then Good Friday, there'd be no communion and the idea of Jesus dying. And then as a celebration, you had the Holy Communion on Easter Day. So you've got the Last Supper, the crucifixions, Jesus' death, his resurrection, and they all come together in the Holy Communion. The word communion, it's participation in something, that which is common to all from the Latin word communio, which means fellowship, mutual participation, a sharing. So the idea of the word is that we're sharing something that's in common with all. And the ritual essentially comes from Mark's Gospel, which is what we heard read today. Um, And it quickly caught on, and really over the years, it's become the central act of Christian worship. And yet, let's face it, it is a bit grisly. I mean, you know, the idea of drinking someone else's blood, uh, eating their flesh, it's pretty close to, you know, one of the great taboos, cannibalism. And all the way through the years, you know, Christians were accused of being cannibals because of this. There was a whole aspect of it. Um, And, you know, the church still gets accused of being overtly cultish and unnecessarily fixed on the person of Jesus. You know, and throughout in Mark's Gospel, Jesus tries to explain why he did this. He says, and I think this is quite interesting, he, you've got the bread and the wine, and in, 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 um, in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give you for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue and asked, how can this man give out his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, unless you can eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you'll have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He sort of goes into in quite a lot of detail. Whatever, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, and so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, in that, he's not referring, obviously, to eating his actual body, his flesh and his blood. And the metaphor here that's used is the metaphor of the eternal word. That idea that's mentioned at the beginning, the logos, that's mentioned at the beginning of John's gospel. uh, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Again, we've got the idea of flesh, Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came with from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when he's talking about bread and he's talking about flesh, he's actually talking about this idea of the eternal Word. Consuming the flesh is really the consuming of the eternal word. In other words, it's taking on the message of the eternal Christ. That's what he's referring to, the idea that if you take on the eternal Christ, the idea of the logos, the idea of the living Word, and enter into the kingdom of heaven, and you know, the kingdom of heaven, you know, what we've said before is the kingdom of heaven is this world clearly seen? the kingdom of heaven, is this world clearly seen, then we enter into the realm of awakening that Jesus is talking about. It's all, this is all a metaphor for awakening, for entering into this world clearly seen, which is infused with that logos, with the eternal word. The living bread or the living word is really the food that enables us to understand All of this is about awakening. It's the food that enables us to understand. We're going to say later in the Lord's Prayer, give us today that bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Give us today that bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. It is the understanding that is fed when we follow the spiritual master. That's what this is all about. It's, It's developing the understanding that is fed through following a spiritual master. And it's similar with the wine. You know, we can become intoxicated by the living water that we receive. You know, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, who he met at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, you know, if you knew who I was and what I could give you, I would have given you living water. Living water is that which nourishes us and gives us the plenty that we seek. Living water is that which nourishes us and gives us the plenty that we seek. Living water is the embodiment of the spirit. Just as actual water quenches thirst, so living water quenches spiritual thirst. It is essentially the experiential fulfilment of our desire for the experience of absolute reality. So, so living water is essentially the experiential fulfilment of our desire for the experience of absolute reality. So bread represents understanding, and wine represents experience. So you've got those two aspects within that, the metaphors of understanding and experience, the understanding which gives you a context for awakening. And the living water is the experience that goes where you go, ah, oh, I see. It's the, it's the fulfillment where, you, where you're no longer looking for something. Like with water, it satisfies you. And with living water, you become spiritually satisfied. The bread represents understanding, the wine represents experience, and Jesus brings both understanding and experience through his presence in us. And he invites us to taste in the communion. And we do communion so often. We're well, not that often here, but we do quite often. And yet we, you know, we don't think about it really. And it is bringing understanding and experience. But I think the metaphor actually goes even further than that. When Jesus says, this is my body, when he holds up the bread, he says to the disciples, this is my body. He refers to the bread, and this is my blood, and he refers to the wine. He's actually pointing away from himself. He says, this is my body, when he has the bread, and this is my blood, when he has the wine. He's pointing away from himself. And saying that you may value me as a person. You may value my body and my blood in the sense of me being part, you being part of my family. You may value that. But my real family is even more than that. You know, you are my flesh and blood. But so is this piece of bread. It is as much a part of me as you are in that, The divine reality is common to all things. It's common to absolutely everything. It's not just in me. It's not just in you. It is in that pillar. It is in this. It is in the bread and it's in the wine. It is common to all things. It upholds that spiritual DNA, that spiritual essence, upholds that piece of bread as much as it upholds the body which is mine, this is what Jesus is saying. And it's a part of this wine as much as it is a part of my body because we're all connected. We are all in communion with all things through our common heritage in the ground of all things, that divine reality. We are all in communion with all things through our common heritage in the ground of all things, the essence of all things, the DNA of all things, which is that divine reality. Last week, I used that poem by Mary Oliver, The Wild Geese. And the last few lines really sum it up. She says in that poem, Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, geese, harsh and exciting over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Announcing your place in the family of things. And Jesus is saying that the bread and the wine are as much a part of the family of things as you are. We are all of the same one consciousness, that non-dual reality. And the fact that we feel separate from the bread and the wine, and the fact that we feel separate from each other is in fact an illusion created by our minds. The separation that we feel is an illusion created by our minds. And the great awakening is to see that there is no separation. And if you want to hear a bit more about that, then come on the developing consciousness course, which is all about this. Not communion, but all about this. Jesus here is disabusing that illusion by giving us the understanding, the living bread, the flesh, the living word. He's giving us the understanding and the experience, the living water, the blood, the water of life, to induct us into the way of knowing that we are part of all things. He's showing us that. And that's what Paul means very anyone who says we don't get enough bible in the church or the chapel I should say sorry lots of bible today that's what paul says when he means he talks about the body of christ is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of christ and is not the bread that we break in the participation in the body of christ because there is one loaf we who are many are one body because we share in one loaf. We who are many are one body because we share in one loaf. You've had it loads of times before, but the, the whole idea of the body of Christ is really the body of the whole universe. The body of the eternal Christ that was there before the beginning, that hovered over the deep, that became the word, Made flesh, that provided leaves from the tree of life for the healing of the nations. It's right shot through everything. That is the nature of the body of Christ. It goes through other, you know, it could be the ground of all being, the greater self, Atman, whatever you like to call it. That is what's being talked about here. So in drawing attention to the bread and the wine, Jesus is actually pointing away from himself towards the corporate body of Christ that includes all things. And of course, Christ is not Jesus' surname. Christ is the title, the idea of the eternal word, the idea of the eternal aspect of the cosmos. So that idea of communion that I mentioned at the beginning, participation in something, that which is common to all, is really pointing us to that aspect of ourselves that is common to all. That's what it's pointing to. The sacrament of communion, and it's called a sacrament. Sacrament, which comes from the word sacramentum, Sacramunstrum. sacrament, which means holy mystery. That's, that's what a sacrament is, it's a holy mystery. The Holy Communion is the holy mystery of the connection that we all have to the divine. That is what the communion is. It is a celebration of that. Not about eating the flesh and blood of Jesus, but of entering into that holy mystery that takes us both understanding and experiencing that holy mystery. We have to experience it and understand it to fathom it. You know, that word understanding, it actually means to stand in the midst of. You know, under in this thing doesn't mean beneath although it's a common thing nowadays, under understanding means between or among. And we gain understanding by being right in the midst of that holy mystery. That is the participation in it, is being in the midst of it. It's a ritual that we are joining in with. And as for experience, the word experience comes from the root meaning of the Latin word experimentum, which means to try or to experiment. Experience comes from that, the root word of the idea of experimentation. Experimentation is thus at the root of experience. Experimentation, observation is a source of knowledge. Actual observation, an event that has affected one. That is the essence of experience. The Holy Communion is all about being in the midst of a sacred mystery and seeing what happens. You actually have to see what happens when you're in there. You know, we just go through it, you know. But you actually have to see what happens when you go through it. Understanding and experience, the bread and the wine, it is by its very nature dynamic. You know, it, the communion is not a lecture. It's not a sermon. It's a ritual, or a rite. That's what it is. The ritual rite comes from the Latin word re, which means reason. A ritual is a way of working something out. We're going to have a ritual of May Day. We always have the Maypole up on May Day here, by the way. So May the 6th, we'll have the May Day up. That is a rite. It's a ritual. It's a way of working things out. And here in Holy Communion, we are working out the holy mystery that is at the center of being in the universe. We are using understanding and experience to work out our place in the world. In reality, to see that we are not separate and that our separation from all things is an illusion. And to do that, we undertake the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine within the context that Jesus set us. You know, it's just like the tea ceremony in Japan. You know, we gain experience and understanding by allowing ourselves to go through it, guided by the master, Jesus no, he says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he gave given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. This is my blood of the covenant. Covenant is from the Latin word convene, which means to agree. It is a, an agreement. This new agreement is that we are one together in the kingdom of heaven. That is what this is about, that we are one together. That is why the Holy Communion became so popular over the years, because it's actually code for the Great Awakening. And if seen correctly, it points us to the universality of all things. And this became hidden by the church Uh, over the years, in layers of other agendas that they've got, of controlling, shedding blood, paying the price of sin and redemption. You know, even heaven and hell, which the Pope now says doesn't exist. So, you know, all those things are really obscuring this. They are other agendas that the church has brought in for control. You know, a modern reading of the Holy Communion is similar to the whirling dervishes, or Buddhist walking meditation. It is a dynamic process of entering into communion with the divine, and as such, simply requires our attention. It simply requires our attention. We are to be swept along with it, hearing the words, responding, undertaking the actions, receiving the understanding, and gaining the experience like the lord's prayer it is jesus's other legacy to help us work out our place in the universe and obviously we're going to have an opportunity to do that a bit later on in the service let's pray We do pray that that understanding and experience of the illusion of separation may come into our hearts and minds, into our community, into our world. We pray that our leaders may have this experience of understanding and experience of non-separation. We pray that those in difficult situations around the world may get a sense of the love that's offered through this. We pray for our town, for our state, for our world, for all those in difficult situations, in war zones, affected by weapons, suffering as we speak. Pray those who are in prisons, at the effect of others, dominated in fear. We pray that. Your love may reach them in those situations. We pray those who are ill in hospitals, seeking healing, and we pray your healing goes to them in their situations. And we particularly pray for our own little community here, people that we are thinking about at the moment for for Tricia Nichols, for Patricia Hill for Will Welsh, for Barbara Orchid, for Sandy St. John. Pray for Father Joseph Boyle, who's now back in the monastery, and also for Father Thomas Keating, who's been moved to St. Joseph's uh, Abbey in Spencer, so his care can be uh, more appropriate. Pray for Bill Archer, for Ken Hammersley, for Nathan Morse, for Sophia Layton, for MJ Elijah, for Casey McClanahan, and for Boto, for a 12-year-old with immune deficiency. Lord, we pray for all these people, and those people that we now mention in our hearts, special to us. We pray for those situations that we now mention in our hearts that we're finding difficulty with. Pray for a resolution and a sense of peace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.